What's going on guys? Welcome back to Season 2 of Dime Dropper. Before we get started, make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast and of course to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dime Dropper Pod. So, of course, we are here at Los Angeles, California for what I consider the biggest episode I've made thus far. Now, as you guys have noticed listening to this show... I've alluded to so many things, a lot of criticizing the modern game and its rules and praising the previous generations of basketball. Now, especially if you knew me in college, you always knew I was somebody that always liked, you know, always somebody like somewhat of a historian, someone who always tried to give the older players their due. However, it was never this excessive. And there's a reason for what ha- for why I've changed and why I've even thought so much more highly of them of late. So a couple of months ago before I started this podcast, right when I left college, I had an enlightenment, so to speak. Um, We talked about this on the playoff preview at the end with Asher. If you haven't checked that episode out, go check it out. I'm going to post the ending when we were talking about the things I'm going to be talking about in this episode at some point over the next couple of weeks. But I had realizations that forever changed the way I view the game. You see, what we have going on right now on a weekly basis, or should I say a daily basis, on social media and on TV are constant comparisons between greats from different eras with older people praising their guys and kids praising their guys. And a lot of it is, you know, discussions that turn into insults and hypotheticals between fans talking up one era to tear down another. When I was a kid, I heard a lot of older fans and players try to tear down the modern era calling it soft and saying so-and-so like LeBron or KD couldn't play in the 90s against the bad boy Pistons or the 90s Knicks, etc. They couldn't handle the physicality. And immediately as a fan of the modern era, your first thought is to push back. No, no, no. LeBron's 6'9", 250. He could play in any era. Now, I used to believe and currently believe that that statement is true. But I'm going to explain why these comparisons shouldn't be made when ranking grace greats and why it's caused one of the worst things in sports today and has resulted in clouding an entire generation from the truth. Now, in the NBA, the sport has changed, evolved, or devolved more than a lot of others I can think of. You go put on an old football game or an old soccer game and you don't see as much of an aesthetic difference as you do with basketball. You just see it ingrained in your footage. Basketball, it looks like the skill level of players or the aesthetic of the game changed tremendously between the 80s and 90s to now and even more so the 60s and 70s. You see, these last couple of years, there's been another change to the game, another evolution, so to speak, of the NBA. And I point the change to have gone next level after the 2016 NBA season, after the 73-9 and Warriors. And the change has been the analytics movement in basketball, discouraging the mid-range shot and emphasizing and or discouraging the mid-range shot and all long twos we've simplified things to layups and threes for efficiency purposes and a faster pace with more shots taken which equals more points and more threes instead of twos to once again score more points within the last couple of years we've had crazy high scores i mean nowadays it's 100 points plus every single game in some first quarters a lot of first quarters getting to 40 with no problem 30 in the first quarter used to be a lot when i started when i was growing up and now it's routine 
Um, teams that seem impossible to guard with players shooting abilities, spectacular. And it has caused a lot of people, including me, to say, this is the most skilled era ever. The quality of play has never been better. And the NBA is going in the right direction and continuing to improve. Everyone's getting better and better. If you put on a game from the 80s and 90s, they can't shoot, as you can see. People are giving them all the space in the world. They can barely dribble. They barely dribble with their left hand. And the farther you go back, the worse the dribbling looks. Mind you, the people that say the things that I just said are mostly from my generation or younger or more or less haven't been watching basketball for more than 20 years. I'm going to go tell you, I'm going to tell you throughout the course of this why the, all that stuff I just said is BS and how I was pushed in the right direction to find out the truth and look deeper into the subject. As a kid getting into basketball, my dad bought me two DVDs, Sir Charles and Akeem the Dream. I really enjoyed learning about those legends and started collecting player DVDs for different legends, whether it was Jordan, Magic Johnson, whatever. And some of them had the occasional games on them as a special feature so you could watch the classic games. And of course, I used to watch classic games growing up on NBA TV during the summers when the season wasn't on. But after a while, after a good amount of years, I felt like I had seen what I had to see. I knew who played in every championship. I knew who had won finals MVP in every championship. I basically didn't feel like I was learning anything new about watching a full classic game anymore. But I always had an appreciation for the old game. But not really before the three-point line. I was told in all the DVDs and all the movies and whatever by the media, I was always told Magic and Larry saved the league. I learned that the 70s was trash. I tried watching a 70s game once on this DVD that I had. It was the Lakers and the Knicks, the night the Lakers won their first championship in LA. And I remember it looked weak to me, boring, no three-point line, just very simple basketball. They just didn't look as good. I had this mental block at the time that... Before the 80s, it just wasn't the same. I kind of separated the 80s and onwards from that and started calling it the real NBA and everything before 60s and 70s was incomparable. Fast forward a couple years, I remember watching the 2017 finals, seeing Kyrie, seeing LeBron, KD, Curry, Clay, And I remember being in awe of every play. The quality of play and skill levels seemed the highest it had ever been in at least my time watching basketball. For reference, my first season watching Hoop was 05-06. The three-pointers, the legendary talents, the amount of players averaging 20-plus points, the way pick-and-rolls have become unguardable in the modern NBA because of players' abilities to spread the floor and, you know, everybody has to go under the screen, over the, I'm sorry, over the screen on the ball handler now because if you go under the screen on most ball handlers, they hit shots. They hit jumpers. Oh. A couple of years ago, or should I say now, it seems like the NBA has hit new heights, especially guard-wise. You know, I always knew the hand check slash freedom of movement rules freed things up, or should I say the non-disallowing hand checking, banning hand checking, plus the freedom of movement rules, freed things up for the guard, so it started making sense to me. The past used to be the golden generation of big men, but now it's the golden generation of guards. Now, I have a friend who's going to be on the podcast shortly. His name is Will, and he plays for Oregon. His dad, or I'm sorry, his grandpa played in the NBA, and even Will, my friend, a couple years ago when we were watching the finals together, started saying during that time that dudes from the past couldn't dribble with their left and all that. So I started watching games from the past 
after the 2017 finals, and it's, it looked like there was a clear skill gap, you know, from then to now. I agreed with him. Great players, but handles and shooting just weren't up to par. If you put Kyrie Irving in that era, he would drop 60. His skill is too advanced. You know, they're awful compared to modern players. They're not as good, but they're good for their time. How can any of these older guys say that they would have been better today and averaged more points, except maybe the good post-up big man because we don't have that many of those left? Jesus, these old heads and the romanticism and bias of their era. Are we even watching the same thing? They just can't let go of the past. And that's what I thought. That is what I thought. Now, there's two sets of you guys right now. One side saying, man, you were that bad. And another side saying, sounds about right to me. And that's what I thought. So let's continue. I respect my friend Will's opinion as much as anyone because his work ethic is as high as anyone I've ever met. He's improved so much over the years. I mean, in high school, he was just, you know, the best player at a high school. And now he's a collegiate Pac-12 guard. And because and he has great post game for a guard, a little bit of the old and a modern handle, a little bit of the new. So I look forward to having him on the show and letting him talk to you guys about all this stuff. But I started wondering when he made that comment. Is my friend who's not in the NBA yet better at basketball than his all, or more skilled at basketball than his all-star grandpa? Because skill has evolved in 30 years. I just assumed that stars could play in any era. Like stars from the past could play in any era. But role players today would be way better back in the day. Role players back then just stood there and watched their best player do everything offensively. Even in January of this year, I still believed the NBA was the best it's ever been. But these last two seasons, and this season more than any, I've noticed how much softer the league has really gotten. One thing I never pushed back on was that the NBA used to be more physical and that the outlawing of physicality and hand-checking allowed for the freedom of movement era starting in 05 and that has made basketball more favorable to the guard. But to say a modern player couldn't play with hand-checking? Well, that's ludicrous because you see occasional hand-checking today because it's literally something that you can't call every time and players are still too good and they score even with hand-checking. So I started saying, you know, Kyrie, Harden, hand-checking him is not going to do anything. Right? But if you pay close attention to games, most times players get offensive stops on ISO situations. Players are always using hand-checking to some extent. I'm well aware the NBA has gone consistently friendlier on the offense over the last 15 years and has reached new highs or should I say lows in terms of officiating this season, especially in the bubble, the amount of ghost fouls, touch hand check calls constantly, reviews on every play for potential hostile acts, constant fouls called on jump shooters down low, taunting technicals for just batting an eye at an opponent. For example, I saw Luka Doncic get a technical when he was flexing on an opponent, but the opponent's back was turned. It's not even that players aren't allowed to play defense anymore. Men aren't even allowed to play to be men anymore. I mean, no hard fouls, no shit talk, basically eliminating any sort of potential for beef slash rivalries amongst players. If you want to hear how bad it got, go listen to my episode, The NBA is a Joke, after Milwaukee played Miami and I think it was game two. Go listen to it. I lost my mind on the refs. So the pandemic hit, right? And we had classic games on regularly. And of course, the last dance, 
The Last Dance, which showed younger kids a glimpse of what the 90s was like, thus increasing the conversation and making more kids feel like they know about the 90s even when they don't. So during that time, I started watching some old games on NBA TV, and besides hand-checking, I noticed some other things. You see, guys like Stephen Curry, J.J. Reddick, Clay Thompson today, they run around the court with little resistance. They run around freely. Freedom of movement. Back in the day when people are constantly going around screens and there's a lot of off-ball screens, that's something I noticed, much less on-ball, more off-ball. Back in the day, they're going through the paint amongst the bigs. And that's the main thing. Nowadays, you see people run around screens. Back in the day, people had to fight through screens. They had to go through the paint. Much more contact was allowed. The big guys would bump you. They would do a lot of illegal things. Well, what would be illegal now, I should say? Bumping, hip checking, you see holding going on. Things that would be considered illegal nowadays. Right? And you hear Vince Carter talking about this in an interview uh, he had an ESPN about how the game has changed, about what going through the paint used to be like. And you hear Michael Jordan talking about it too, about the physicality on screens. But... Yeah, so the physicality is very real. But then my friend Will, who I mentioned earlier, started talking about how good older players were one day during quarantine. And I started saying, like, bro, weren't you the one who were saying all those guys were weak? And he responded to my question saying that that he was wrong and that a friend showed him things that completely changed his perception of the game and passed it on to me. He showed me a video titled, Why 60s players don't display handles on YouTube. I saw Jerry West seem to slightly fumble the ball to the point where it looked like a modern crossover, hand on the side of the ball, and he was called for a carry. And I watched it again, and I was like, wait, wait one second. It all makes sense now. The main reason players dribbling looks funny and unorthodox was because they weren't allowed to dribble like we do now. And when I say we, I mean youth levels, me learning how to play basketball, hand on top of the ball at all times. Think of how many modern moves that eliminates when you have to abide by those rules. Any wide crossover, the hezzy cross, the between the legs pullback, all of that illegal. It totally changes how a guard can score compared to what we see now. The more you cup the ball, the more grip you have. Because think about it. Why does Magic Johnson dribble like that? Why does he, you know, he's considered the greatest point guard ever and one of the best ball handlers ever. And you look at that and a kid would look at it now and think, he's not doing any fancy crossovers. He's dribbling with the right hand on the left side. You know, your average high school hooper, great high school hooper has more handles than him. Or Reggie Jackson has more handles than him. Think of how dumb that sounds for a second. That would mean that I have more dribbling skills than Jerry West. Does that make sense to you? Because here's the thing. You know, Jerry West lived in a different time. But he breathes the same air as I breathe right now. He's living in this world walking around somewhere. He's not some evolved species. He's like your grandpa's age. So when your grandpa was a kid, yes, despite the fact that we didn't have iPhones and all this different stuff, putting the ball and making a wide crossover with the side of your hand isn't a scientific invention, guys. At all. So it all makes sense. Dribbling changed somewhere in the 80s. I don't know if it was 
a written rule or something they just kind of let fly. But when you watch games from the early 80s, you see they still abide by the same dribbling rules as the 60s and 70s. But then you look in the later 80s and you see the first person that I've seen doing wide crossovers, Isaiah Thomas. And that's why people see him as someone that's a real pioneer of the game and how it's changed. And then it all makes sense. Because I remember people used to say, was Allen Iverson's carry, oh, I'm sorry, was Allen Iverson's crossover a carry? And I remember thinking, I don't know why people even said that. Because carrying is when you put your hand under the ball, not when you put your hand on the side of the ball. But now I see why people used to question it. Because it was a carry. If Allen Iverson did that, if somebody did that in the 80s, and I've seen people do crossovers in, in those eras now that I've been watching, and they get called for carries. So no one really does it. There's a quote from Steve Kerr too, just in case you don't believe me and you think that it's just because skill has evolved. In, um, and by the way, in 1996, at the height of the N1 mixtape era, people were questioning whether it was a carry, but the NBA saw how popular Iverson was and how people were enjoying those moves and thought, you know, this style of dribbling is good for the game. And that's what people want. And thus dribbling became that you can't have your hand under the ball. But other than that, it's fair game. So Steve Kerr has a quote by Clutch saying, before Iverson, even though I technically pointed to Isaiah Thomas from what I've seen, but before Iverson, his move was a carry, and guys had to keep their hand on top of the ball. So he was groundbreaking with that move because it was a hesitation into a crossover that nobody had really done before. So that's the end quote. By the end of these two parts, you'll find out that all the changes the league has made and all the media agendas revolve around the same thing money so when i found out the dribbling rules everything changed for me i was so excited to go back and watch old games now that i knew that it's not because the players just had less skill it's literally the style the the game has changed and something you're going to find out as we keep going on is older players always say it but i used to always think when they said it that they're just saying oh the game has changed just to you know Try to make an excuse to show that their era was as good as this era, even though it's clearly not. That's what I used to thought. That's what I used to think. But the game has changed will be the theme of this episode, my friends. So when I found that out, everything changed, obviously, and I wanted to go watch. But some a, a kid will say, and by the way, these kids that we're going to be talking about, the people that say the things I used to say, we refer to them as this show as, you know what, the Gen Z Cucks. And we're going to trademark that one, and it's going to be what I use. So when I say a Gen Z Cuck, that means the people that view the game the same way I used to view it, but it gets even worse because they say things that I even used to never say, but we'll continue as, as we go on and expose the Gen Z cucks and why not to be that and why they're so bad and toxic for the game and don't understand a thing. But let's continue for a bit. As for the shooting and the space that they're given in other eras, I never had a problem with it because kids, they need to stop having this revisionist sort of view about three-pointers. The three-point line was introduced to the game in 1979. I used to think it was like the mid-70s, but little did I know that the year that Magic and Larry came into the league was the first year that the three-point line was instated. It was actually from the ABA. They brought it into the NBA, but not immediately when they merged. Anyway, so you had players who were in the NBA that didn't practice shooting from 23 feet out their entire lives, and that doesn't make players any worse at basketball. You see, the game of basketball was initially made to favor the tall man. The taller you are, the closer you are to the basket, you know, common sense. The higher percentage you have of scoring. Like, look at the best players in the NBA when the game started. George Mikan in the 50s. And in the 60s, you had Russell and Chamberlain. So, And if you look at basically every championship team after that, up until the bad boys, 
You need an elite big man to win a championship. You know, Kareem, Willis Reed. You know, I don't know if Nate Thurman was on that 75 Warriors team, but I'd assume he was still in the league. You know, you got uh, Dave Callens, um, Wes Unseld. So, Bill Walton. So, you need a Magic Johnson and, you know, he had Kareem. Uh, Parrish and McHale. You need great big men up until the bad boys. So, that you know, that's what that when you remember when you watched the last dance and they said, you know, I don't think a guard can anchor a franchise to championships like that. That's because you hadn't seen it yet. It was a bigs game. If a three point line doesn't exist, why would players shoot from deep? You don't get more points for it, it's a lower percentage shot. It's just dumb basketball back then. So, I told my friend. When I got home from college, I told one of them, I said, oh, actually, my friend was Nick for what we had on the second episode of the podcast of if the Laker fans have accepted LeBron or not. And I said, we're going to watch playoff games from 1980 onwards to see how the game changed and evolved. And this would help me gain knowledge for Dime Dropper. So when I start my own podcast, I would have a leg up on my competition. Like, not kids aren't really doing this. So we did. We watched a game from the Celtics Sixers 1980 Conference Finals, and we watched a bunch of Western Conference playoff games from Magic's first run, and we watched the whole finals and the whole Conference Finals of Magic's rookie playoff run. So, once again, now that I knew the rules, it was so much better than I'd ever watched classic games. I just keep wanting to, because it was such a breath of fresh air and a difference in style than what we see today. And I noticed some things. One, the amazing pace of the game. Very similar to the modern era. This is in the 80s, by the way. Except something I've always noticed about the 80s, even as a kid, was that the games were far higher scoring than that of the 90s and the early 2000s, which leads me to believe that those eras were more physical. However, I don't actually know if that's the case. I'm just assuming because of the scores. My uncle used to always say to me whenever we played basketball, whenever there was a hard foul, he would say, That's East Coast 80s basketball, implying that basketball used to be more physical, particularly in the Eastern Conference. What I knew growing up was that the 80s was very run and gun, and the 90s was more half-court packed to paint, and that the 80s in the Western Conference was known for being fast break, run and gun, more flashy, and and the East Coast was more grinded out. So I didn't know why the game changed from the fast break, high scoring of the 80s to a little more packed to paint. I just assumed from what the history books and the movies say that it's because they followed the bad boys model. Kind of like how people are following the Warriors model now. But once again, I don't have any proof of this. I don't know. I haven't watched all of it yet. So two other things I noticed were when I watched the game with the dribbling rules, knowing them now, players weren't bad at dribbling. They have the ball on a string. They have amazing control of the ball. Because what is ball handling known to us now? Your handle is known as something that is used to, you know, do a fancy move, cross someone over, take someone off the dribble. Back in the day, ball handling was known as basically more so ball retention. I'm not going to lose the ball. The ball is comfortable in my hands as the floor general. It's not, oh, let me get this triple hezzy tween cross. It's, let me hold the, let me control the game. Let me not lose the ball. And then when I went back and started watching Dennis Johnson, Magic Johnson, you know, go back even further, Jerry West, somebody who people grill regularly for looking like he had a different handle than today. These guys had great handles. Jerry West has a great handle. Oscar Robertson has a great handle. Clyde Frazier has an amazing handle within their rules. They don't. 
they, it's not that they couldn't do those crossovers. That's not the game. But they are no one's stealing the ball from them. And that makes you question. If they had no left hand, why wouldn't people force them left? Because trust me, I've watched their games. They had a left hand. When they need to go left, they can go there. But why? But if the if it's harder, if you can't cup the ball, why would you put the ball in your left hand on the left side of the court when it's not necessary? I would rather have it in my dominant hand. So why wouldn't players just force them left? And I've heard someone really come up to me and def and and uh, defend themselves, saying they didn't know how to guard like that back then. Excuse me, like. Do you think people were dumb back in the day? Like you couldn't force forcing someone a certain to their weak hand was a concept like that wasn't invented. Let's stop being very naive, guys. So the handle was really good. So they had handles, trust me. And something else I noticed was the athleticism of players. You know, as someone that grew up watching classic games as a kid and was around my uncles who both grew up with 80s and 90s ball, I'd never heard anything about the players being lesser athletes. They always talked about like how good players are then and how good they are now. It was always appreciating the game. Not about what's better, this era is this, this era and that. It was never anything about that. So I'm watching these games, right? And for the last couple of years, I've heard my friends, you know, around my age, Talk about players being more athletic now, bigger, faster, and stronger. But when I watched the games, I was amazed at the stamina, heavy minutes, far heavier than today. Like, the rotations were a lot shorter back then. For example, Kareem averaged 41 minutes a game in his 1980 playoff run at age 30. And Anthony Davis only averaged 36 this playoffs. Not to mention Kareem is traveling playing in a more physical era, playing back-to-backs in the playoffs. In the 1980 Western Conference Finals, they straight-up played back-to-backs, which, you know, you got guys regular sitting out back-to-backs in regular season games. You got guys playing playoff back-to-backs back then. And, of course, in low-top Adidas. Not beautifully Nike shoes, you know, that have been around for a while now and how to be as light as a feather. No. Low-top Adidas. Not to mention Kareem, yeah, as I said, playing in a more physical era. It just felt like NBA players, just like today, great athletes, the best in the world, like we say. You want, I mean, look at the 1980 finals I watched. Julius Irving, one of the most athletic players I've ever seen in my life. Magic Johnson, 6'9", can run like a guard, dribble like a guard. Kareem, who, I think Kareem is starting to become one of the most one of the most underrated athletes to ever play the game. We always just talk about the skyhook. Do you know how agile this dude was? Go watch anything before he went bald and started wearing goggles. This dude was... I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, couldn't, I can see why people call him the GOAT now. Because he can move like... A, like, like he's so... 7'2", with that skill, can... I've seen him... By the way, we're going to get into some disrespect of Kareem a little bit later in the, in the podcast. But... I've seen him, I saw him switch on to Dennis Johnson and send his shot in the second row. I saw, like, he's so agile and athletic. Like, he's a freak. And we don't ever talk about this. And I never knew until I watched a full game. You know, highlights can only do so much justice, kids. So, not to mention Jamal Wilkes, agile wing, can run the floor. Norm Nixon, so fast. Mo Cheeks, super fast, great ball control. Daryl Dawkins, one of the strongest players, broke backboards. Like, 
Very, very athletic players, guys. Caldwell Jones, 6'11", long forward. You know, Bobby Jones, who on the surface looks like a skinny white dude, and then you see him come out in the game, go out in the game jumping all over the place. I mean, these players were really athletic. Because think about it, guys. That's These players are your dad's age when your dad was young. There's no... What, what athletic... Do you, you think people are just coming out and they're a new species now? Anyway, we're going to continue this conversation as we go. But I just... I remember looking at my friend Nick as we were watching this 1980 finals. And I said the same thing I said about the 2017 finals and the 2019 finals. I looked at him and I was like, these players are so good. They're amazing. Like, this is such good basketball. But it's just different basketball. And that's the main thing. These players, you know what I noticed? You might be wondering, what do they do better? Their mid-range game is absurdly good. Like, you know, you hear mid-range game and you're like, okay, now people got the three-point game. Guys, there's a difference. See, a contested three will never be a good shot. Only certain guys could even shoot that with consistency. And I, I don't, when I mean contested three, I don't mean off the catch. I mean off the dribble. When, a, when you have a mid-range game and you perfect it, it becomes to the point where those contested shots feel like open shots. You can make those shots contested consistently. Just look at Kawhi. You know, I'm not going to sit here and sing his praises, as you know. But in terms of his basketball game, his mid-range is much more reliable, even when contested, than James Harden doing that step-back three that he does all the time. And there's a reason why one has won a championship and one hasn't. And that mid-range game that these players have, it's like a science. You know, I, I don't see... The, these players now, they look so awkward shooting mid-ranges now. It's like they put too much on it. It's like It looks like a weird shot because they don't practice it anymore. And it sucks because I've been influenced by this era as well. And I've started to, you know, I've noticed the last couple of years, I've heard people like trying to tell me, no, don't take the three. Don't step in. I was taught when I was growing up playing basketball that by that coaches that you pump fake at the three-point line and you if you have space, you step in in the mid-range. Nowadays, I think people, I, I bet you kids are just being taught to take a step to the side for the three. And I've been encouraged to not shoot floaters anymore. It's like, if you're going to go all the way, go all the way. Don't stop at 10 feet. But, you know, the most important thing in basketball is reading and reacting. And, you know, having a, a mid-range game that you can hit when contested, and trust me, literally all these players, like all the scorers had it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's an art form. They had it, and these players now don't. I see players missing layup. By the way, so we talked about the poor finishing, right? These players finish, like, everything. Like, I mean, they still used to have occasional missed layups, of course, and... But, what, you know, one thing my friend Asher said in, in the hit when he came on, the big men, the elite big men, they do not miss chippies, man. They do not. If they're missing, it's because another seven-footer is contesting it. And, you know, these, these guys have, and we're going to talk about one another thing I noticed, spacing, guys. It's something we forget. And it was even a thing, you know, seven years ago, six years ago, that the paint was more crowded. Nowadays, because everybody can shoot, you have the whole floor open to work with, to score. Now, in the 80s, you have traditional centers who are around the basket and traditional power forwards who, you know, they're stepping out to like 15 feet. They're not shooting threes. We haven't gotten to the stretch four era yet. So the paint is congested. So when these guys are finishing around the rim, it's not like today where they're wide open. And by the way, I don't see any uncontested missed layups back then. I see a ton today. And because once again, we're not, I see, how many times have you seen a guy miss a free throw and then make a three right after? 
It's all about what we're practicing and preaching. I'm not going to lie to you guys. My finishing around the basket has gotten so much worse these last couple of years, and I cannot stand it. It makes me sad. It's because I haven't practiced layups anymore. I've just become enamored with the modern game, and I need to go back to doing what's best to become better at basketball for what I want to do, and that's to be better at... And people think that finishing is all about like how big you are and your physical nature. It's not. It's not all of that. That obviously helps, but there is a skill of finishing. What? How much touch do you put on your shots? What spot of the backboard are you, are you hitting? Are you even using the backboard in certain shots? Are you using the right hand on the right side? So many things go into the skill of finishing, and Kyrie Irving is a great example of somebody that's a very good finisher. We still have great finishers in today's NBA. The problem is that the modern kid, the Gen Z cuck, will take the best finisher and say, what do you mean we don't have good finishers? And you pick the cream of the crop. No, no, no. I know. Once again, I mean, as as much as I love Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, or I, never mind, let me retract that statement. As much as I supported Kawit and Paul George on my team this year, and they're great players, they miss a lot of layups too. And yeah, I mean... The finishing, the mid-range game, the passing, guys, one to five. Exceptional difference. And we're going to get into, when we start talking about the flaws in the modern game later, I'm going to tell you why that's the case. But anyway, the spacing, guys, makes it harder to score. And that was the case even six years ago. You know, not everybody was shooting threes left and right six years ago. You go back and watch the 2013 NBA season, the playoffs, 20 threes a game, not 40, and you know, some diversity in the offense. There's post players. There's, you know, uh, catch and shoot guys. There's ISO guys, you know, pick and roll guys. It's not just, you know, one one or two guys do pick and roll and everybody kind of stands around and either you're screening, rolling, or you're spotting up. It wasn't like that. So the spacing, the pace, these are all things that the mid-range game, the finishing, the, the post game, by the way. Oh, my goodness. I mean, we already know the post game has kind of died. So, yeah, those are what I was noticing about the 80s, right? And so another thing I noticed is I started watching some more games. By the way, guys, if you think that I'm just going to keep talking about what I noticed without any actual like facts and stuff, you're wrong. I'm going to – don't worry. Besides the Steve Kerr quote, I'm going to have so much more. You're underestimating me if you believe I didn't come prepared for this stuff. Anyway, another thing I noticed as I watched a couple games from the 90s, two of Chuck and one of Shaq, that they literally come down and post up and demand the ball every time down. I was so in awe of this, of them coming down and posting up every time, as well as playing tough defense, because nowadays we have always, you know, we hear about, oh, they have to conserve energy for the offense, or there's a very good two-way player. You know, I'm not a no-but, correct me if I'm wrong, people, but I did not hear the phrase two-way that much until Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP in 2014, and I started hearing, oh, he's a great two-way player, one of the best two-way players in basketball. I started asking, what what does that mean? And they're like, somebody that excels at offense and defense. And I said, oh, so you mean a great basketball player? Because I was taught that there's two sides of the ball. But nowadays, because the game is so offensively oriented, defense is like a novelty now. And I'm gonna get into why that's the case. Anyway... So when I'm seeing Charles and Shaq get in the post every single time down the court, I'm thinking to myself, like, how are these guys not exhausted? Like, this isn't a thing. Like, how how is this happening? Because I'm like, whenever I see AD or any big man get a switch on a little guy and I don't see them go in the post, I'm like, oh, I guess, you know, whatever. Maybe they'll do it next time. Back in the day, it's not, there's no next time. It's like you get a switch. You, they're not even getting switches. That's what I have to think. Imagine if they're getting switches. These guys are going at their opposition, like their opposing center, their matchup. And they're like, give me the ball. Not a switch. If you put 
could you imagine if you put like Jay Crowder on Shaq? Do you do you know what or or even Chuck who's six? Do you know what they would do? Laugh. But then there's the flip side. What would you do if you put Shaq and Chuck in a pick and roll defensively? And that is the point, my friends. You see, I was always under the belief that with the decline of the big men, and we'll get into that more, that bigs would be even more dominant today. But the guards, they're better today. Then I watched Terry Porter, Penny Hardaway, Kevin Johnson, Dennis Johnson, Norm Nixon, and Gus Williams. And you know what I noticed? These, there's always been skilled guards. There's always been insanely quick guards like Kevin Johnson and Norm Nixon. But the paint has not always been cleared. The pick and roll has not always been emphasized like today. The space has never been allowed for guards to move the same way. And there hasn't always been no hand check rules to let the smaller player get advantages like today. So I started thinking, oh, I couldn't believe. If you put Kevin Johnson, by the way, if you don't know who that is, please look him up from the Phoenix Suns. In today's era, with the athleticism and skill and speed that he had, oh my God. I can't even get into it. I can't even get in. I couldn't get into it on this. But the point is, they'd be better, right? So then it hit me. I started to think, you know, a, a basic pick and roll today. Let's 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 look at the look at the Houston Rockets, for example. James Harden and Clint Capella pick and roll. You got PJ Tucker, Eric Gordon, and let's say Chris Paul spreading the floor. Everyone can shoot. James Harden and Clint Capella have the whole, you know, middle of the court to kind of work within their screen roll. So you have to honor Harden's jump shot by going over the screen. So when you're going over the screen, Harden has, you know, a step on the guy chasing him from behind. So somebody's going to have to protect him. And that's usually the guy that's guarding Capella, the roll man, or the guy guarding the roll. So to guard Capella on the lob, somebody guarding one of the shooters has to come rotate. And because the, the difference with the three-point line and the key is so far, that gives Harden the ability to make a read to give the shooters. Basically, the defense has to pick their poison. So with a certain amount, if you have a guy that can handle the ball and can hit runners and can hit jumpers and can pass the ball and make reads like that and a good roller, as long as you have shooters on the court, you're getting an automatic good shot no matter what. Unless you switch and then a mismatch has happened, you still can get a good shot. And that is why, my friends, we do we have pick and rolls every single play now in the NBA. Now, I was starting to think, let's say you do a pick and roll with Luke Longley and Michael Jordan. You know, the players aren't as good as shooters. You don't have... Dennis Rodman is usually going to be around the paint getting a rebound. So the distance you have to cover, you can guard two people a lot easier back then by splitting the difference between the two of them distance-wise... So it's not a guaranteed open shot. So what happens when you kick it out to Dennis Rodman for an open 18-footer? He's not going to take it a lot of the times. He's going to go back to Mike or Scotty, and they're going to have to redo it again. So even the Sean Stockton, Carl Malone pick and roll that everyone talks about, when you have Greg Ostertag, there's not space in the floor. You know, they're going to have to pick the difference. They're going to have to, I'm sorry, not choose to di- pick the difference. They're gonna, they can split the difference easier in terms of the distance between Ostertag and Malone. And here's the thing. I'm just talking right now, and you, you're like, I don't understand what you're saying. If on this YouTube ver- version of the video, I'm hoping that as I'm saying this, you're going to have clips rolling that I can demonstrate what I'm saying to you. But I started thinking to myself, the fact that John Stockton averaged 13 assists, 12 assists for that long in that NBA, and the fact that Michael Jordan averaged 37 points a game, there was always hand checking, but the spacing is something I didn't even register. Because here's the thing, guys. You know, player people in my generation, 
you forget how much the game has even changed in the last five to ten years. It hasn't always been like this. Go and, you know, it's kind of like when you're around somebody that's constantly, that's lost, that's losing a bunch of weight. If you're around them constantly, you're not going to notice they've lost a bunch of weight unless you go to the before and after. And that's kind of what it was for basketball. I just started thinking that players were getting more skilled because all the points were scoring and like how hard it is to guard. But I never really, or I'm sorry, I didn't know that the game had changed so much even within the time I was watching. But then when you go back and watch it, it's like, wow. It, I used to really watch back. Like when Chris Paul was on the Clippers doing pick and rolls with Blake Griffin, we're not guaranteed a good shot the same way because DeAndre Jordan's standing under the basket. Those were real assists. So that's my point. Do you know how easy it is to get assists now with that type of stuff? Just because a team is harder to guard, and yes, I will admit, teams are harder to guard than they've ever been, but that doesn't mean the players are individually better. Just because Andrew Bynum, let's look at Andrew Bynum, for example, or Dennis Rodman, just because their skill sets don't cater to getting easier shots offensively doesn't mean that they're worse players. Would you rather have a Maxi Kleba who just kind of sits there and shoots threes and he's a decent defender, or Andrew Bynum who can create his own shot in the post and dominate opposing bigs, a skilled big man, jump hooks with either hand? Who's the better basketball player? Andrew Bynum. Who's making it easier for your team to score? Maxi Kleba, because of the spacing. A guy like Brooke Lopez, for example. Another guy to look at is like LeBron. Look at the evolution of his career. He was not a good three-point shooter coming into it. He was a streaky shooter, but he's adapted. Brooke Lopez was a mid-range post guy. And now look at him. He's pulling from 30, which shows you how easy it is for even these big men to adapt to shooting threes when they already have good jumpers from 18, 15 feet. But that wasn't required of Brooke Lopez. Is Brooke Lopez better now than he was in Brooklyn? Hell no, he's not. But he's adapted his game to his team. Because now Giannis, because you see what happened with Giannis? In 2018, when John Henson was there, he wasn't getting the same kind of production he was now. It's not just because he's gotten uh, better every year. It's because when Mike Budenholzer got Brooke Lopez to space the floor, now nobody can help on Giannis without giving up an open jumper. With John Henson, you can pack the paint and form that wall so much easier. That's why Giannis has won MVP the last two years since they got Brooke Lopez. But people don't actually look at these things. Anyway, the point is, every player who is great offensively or more skilled offensively would score more and have it easier today than ever before. And defense would be harder now because they've made it harder on the defense. And people might be asking, why do you keep saying this? What is this? Ha- what proof do you have? Well, we're getting to that. Now, you see, we can do this all day. Put stars in each era and wonder what they would do in another. It's pretty fun. Really pointless, though, in my opinion. We should always compare what they did in their time, which is what I say on this show all the time. But I never noticed how badly misinformed everyone really was till I got on Twitter. And that's when I realized this problem is really bad. Thank you for listening to part one. If you enjoyed, let me know. Hit me up. Tell me about it, what you thought. This version of the episode, the audio version, might not have been as good as the visual version on YouTube. So go to YouTube to check it out with the visual demonstrations. And yeah, make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, as I said. And part two is coming very soon involving zone, defense, Twitter, and the misconceptions surrounding the 60s.